Welcome back to the Injury Pro Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host at FB Injury Doc, medical analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Today we have a guest who's one of the nicest dudes on this planet. I feel like I say that about a lot of people, but I really genuinely, and I genuinely mean it when I say it, but I mean when, when I say that he's one of the nicest dudes on this planet, I mean it. He is an editor, a ranker. He is the host of the Fits on Fantasy Podcast, contributor to thefootballworld.com. He's a Milwaukee native and maybe not so happy lately. He's a Packer backer and a Badger forever. He is the Fantasy Pros multi-year draft accuracy champion. He is that. Let me say that again. He is the Fantasy Pros multi-year draft accuracy champion. He finished second in 2019 in draft accuracy. And let's see. So I have it pulled up here. In 2016, he finished uh, seasonal rankings. He finished number 20. 2017, he finished second. 2018, he finished 13th. And just last year, he finished 21st. He's consistently in the top 20 of rankers. He is one of the nicest, again, one of the nicest guys you'll meet, one of the best followers on Twitter, at Fitz underscore FF on Twitter. Thanks for joining me today, Pat. It, it genuinely means a lot to me. How are you doing? Oh, Doc, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really honored to be invited onto this podcast. I've enjoyed watching your ascendance. It was great to see you land with Fantasy Points and the great team there. I mean, I, I you know, dig so many of those guys and have talked to so many of those guys. Joe Dolan, uh, Graham Barfield, Scott Barrett. It's just a phenomenal team. And, uh, you know, you are a key part of that. So it's really good to be here, man. Looking forward to chatting. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you uh, giving that shout out. You did. Give me a shout out. These this was early in the preseason, like I wonder, maybe March. I don't March ish, April ish. Um, you gave me a quote tweet, and I gained about a hundred followers in a matter of one hour because you decided to put out one of my tweets, and um, I think it was about Will Disley. And so that was very much appreciated. Uh, you again, I I feel like I just said you're one of the nicest guys um, out there, and I was also going to say you're extremely humble. You're genuinely, I can tell just by the way. I listen to your podcasts. I see you interact on Twitter. I, I feel like I have a sense of, of who you are a little bit, at least. And I can just tell you one of the most humble dudes ever. And I try to give you compliments. I try to talk you up. And the, what did you do? You immediately flipped to compliment me. So <laughs> you can't do that. Pat. You got to take a compliment, man. You got to stop that. Oh, I'm just such a son of a bitch in that humble sort of no, uh, Just kidding, man. But dude, I really did appreciate you having my back on that Will Disley when I was, uh, I forget when I took that up. That was like early in the off season, I think even pre-pandemic where I'm like, why the why are people still interested in Will Disley? Like this guy's been through the ringer medically and, you know, was kind of like this slow, shaky prospect to begin with. I know he hit, you know, for brief portions of a couple of different seasons but uh yeah you kind of you know came to my rescue there with the uh, the medical <laughs> uh it's just know, a the, tough the, thing to come back from evidence <laughs> it's just it's just a weird thing i think you were right to begin with because he's not a guy first of all that has been provided any type of consistency and it's strange that he's had two massive tendon tears it's 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 honestly a miracle he's even still in the league and i think that speaks to his overall athleticism but when it comes to fantasy I, I just can't, I can't see it happening. So I definitely, I definitely had your back on that one. So right. I mentioned that you're at fantasygirl.com. Are you anywhere else? Anyone else you want to plug? 
No, uh, yeah, mainly just the football girl. You mentioned the uh, the podcast and uh, like I'm starting up a Patreon service. I used to try to answer like everyone's questions on Twitter and now it's just the volume is so overwhelming that I can't do that anymore. But I still like to provide no, I believe it. sort of yeah. personalized. Yeah, the, the personalized advice where people can come to me with their very specific trade and waiver and lineup questions and I can answer it and answer it sort of thoroughly and, you know, not necessarily be limited by Twitter or whatever. So um, I started this, uh, I call it the consigliere service, uh, you know, so if, if people want to check that out, um, I think it is, oh, it's www.patreon.com slash fits on fantasy. And, uh, you know, if the people sign up for that, I will literally answer any question they have throughout the season pretty much any time and be responsive to it. So, um, yeah, man. And that's about it. That and the day job and the family keeps me pretty busy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I feel like I can tell stories about you all day, but Pat was nice enough to, at the end, towards the end of the season last year, he actually offered to read. He's got, oh, how many followers do you have now, Pat? You have, let's see, twenty almost 21,000 followers. And you put out on Twitter, you said, if anybody out there is wanting to become a writer, an aspiring writer, then send me an article. I will personally critique it. And that was a bold move on your answer, <laughs> but you delivered. I was one of those people. I sent you an article. I said, I'd love if you take a look at this. You had some of the best advice I've gotten. You personalized it. So you're really big on personalizing answers, man. What, what is it like? Why are you such a nice guy? I just want to shake you and be like, man, can I get a rise out of you ever? <laughs> No, I mean, like, I think that was just uh, after the season, suddenly there's this free time open when I'm not having to do rankings, not having to do, uh, you know, uh, the podcast, I might have been on a podcast hiatus. So there was a little bit of downtime and just wanted to open that up just because that's, you know, my day job. I'm an editor. I deal with a lot of writers. I deal with writing all day. So, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people want to break in to the fantasy media and, and, you know, writing is kind of the easiest way to do that. Um, you know, and there are a lot of sites looking for articles where, you know, they're not going to pay you enough to do it full time maybe, but you can at least get your name and your stuff out there and your ideas and, you know, start to interact with people. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to help see if I could get people off on like the right foot and, um, you know, maybe just sort of, if they were way off, just sort of say, here's how you kind of got to attack an article and get into it. And uh, how did you do that in a tactful way? Good. So, yeah, I mean, there were there were definitely, you know, of the couple dozen responses I got, there were some lost causes, to put it frankly. And, uh, you know, just like for some people, I would say, um, you know, here here are a couple books that you could use to get started that are pretty good manuals on writing and expressing yourself well. And I think, I think I probably gave the books, uh, one is the elements of style. It's like the best handwriting or not handwriting, but the best writing manual you could ever find. I think I told everyone to check that out. Um, yep. you know, but yeah, some people like, it's just, you can't let them down. I mean, you gotta be encouraging and just say, well, you know, you, uh, you gotta find a hook. You gotta make, the right, the reader want to just keep going in this. You got to like, you can't just 
do a stat stat dump right off the top or you're going to lose them. You've got to like, you know, find something that's going to keep them interested and keep them wanting to go on to the next paragraph. Then how are you going to hook them to the paragraph after that? Like you got to keep building the anticipation for the reader before you, you know, hit them with your point and, and bring in all these heavy duty stats. It's like a mating ritual, right? Writing is almost like a mating ritual. <laughs> it kind of is, man. It kind of is. But yeah, definitely winning them over in those first two or three paragraphs is key. So is that sort of the advice that you would give to people coming up then? Because, I mean, I also want to know a little bit about your your rise to prominence and what that looked like. And I want to know your story because I've heard you talk on your podcast. I think it was with maybe, I don't remember who, who your guest was. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you guys talked about uh, when you used to mail in your fantasy stats and you used to have to wait till the box score came out. Like, I want to know about those days. I want to know about how you became an analyst. So, so the floor is yours. I'd like to know more about that. Oh, sure, man. So, uh, a buddy of mine hooked me on a, like in college in the early nineties, he hooked me on this league. We, we did, it was fantasy, but it was a weekly contest and we would just turn in our lineups. I think there were like 10 of us. And it was winner take all every week. And I think we were in for like, you know, five bucks, five bucks a guy every week. We were poor college students. And, uh, you know, like I had started playing fantasy baseball and I always like kind of questioned fantasy football because like, you know, how can they have fantasy football when, you know, fantasy baseball measures everyone, the pitchers, the hitters, fantasy football is just the guys who touch the ball, not the linemen, the linebackers. This is stupid. You know, I just like, kind of rejected the idea of fantasy football at first. Well, then I think like after having a mostly terrible team, I won a week or two in a row at the end of this first season and I sort of got hooked. And then, you know, getting into the nineties now I'm, I'm fully immersed in this and I'd come up with a journalism background and, uh, you know, graduated with a, a journalism degree and was working at like a chain of uh, suburban news weeklies in Milwaukee and uh, a buddy who had wanted me to move to Chicago saw an ad in the Chicago Tribune for an editor's job at Pro Football Weekly. And he like sent it to me by mail and uh, I wound up applying for the job and getting it. So I did move to Chicago and started working for this weekly football magazine. We called it a magazine, but it was really more of a newspaper. And, you know, fantasy was maybe only like 25 to 30% of the job for me. Like there was a main fantasy guy there and I would help him out a little, but it was, you know, mostly just coordinating and helping with the, the NFL coverage the rest of the way. But, you know, it was just a blast to work in football all the time. I was into fantasy anyway, and that only got me deeper into it. Um, you know, and I left after a couple of years just cause it didn't pay real well. I mean, I would have, stayed there forever if I had been able to, uh, you know, make the kind of money I was hoping to make. And I left on really good terms and they asked me to freelance for them for their online coverage. And one of the things they talked about was, uh, you know, like doing weekly in-season fantasy rankings. And I don't think, I don't know if I was the, the first person ever to do it, probably not, but I know there were not a lot of people at the time doing weekly in-season rankings. This was like the year 2000 or so and um started doing that was just banging out articles for them all while having a, another day job and just stayed there doing that for them for like 
over 10 years. And then I can't remember what year it was. Pro Football Weekly shut down and uh, I was kind of homeless as far as doing fantasy writing and rankings and wound up like talking to Melissa Jacobs, the football girl who had her on site. And uh, I kind of liked the idea of just doing a lone wolf sort of thing and asked her if she was interested in taking fantasy content onto her site. And um, she was, and and we've had a a nice business partnership ever since. Um, And yeah, man, going back to the days of playing. So I was playing in the the nineties. I think I've got a few years on you doc and um, (laughs) the the early days there was uh, like, there were no instant scores. There was no uh, oh, live, live scoring. It would, man. And uh, we used to, I was like commissioner of our league and I would do the scores by hand on a Monday and like physically mail them out to the league owners, which was just crazy. Like these, you know, copied notebook pages. And um, <laughs> the great innovation for us and like, I don't know, this would have been like 94, 495 or something like that was one of the local TV stations in Milwaukee was starting to get someone there got a sense that fantasy football was getting big and that there were a lot of degenerates out there looking for these stats on a Sunday night. And they did like a, you know, an after the local news, a a fantasy football extra. And in addition to showing highlights and everything, they would run a scroll at the bottom of the screen with all the stats, like all the skill position player stats from every game. And we would like record that, you know, watch it, be writing it down as it came, you know, run it back, watch it again, just so we knew the scores of all our games early and, you know, watching this till midnight on a Sunday and knowing who won, we felt like we were actually ahead of the game because we didn't have to wait for the Monday morning paper. I mean, those were the dark <laughs> ages of fantasy football, my friend. That was a long time ago. So were the, was was there such a thing as a stat correction? Oh, God. Sorry, there, there probably Sorry. were stat corrections, but we probably didn't know about them at the time. Like, if they issued them, <laughs> they probably just completely eluded us. And it's a good thing because if anyone had seen that and, like, tried to pull that, without anyone else being able to easily find it, it would have been like World War Three. in... Uh, oh, know, man, I imagine that. <laughs> man, that's, to me, so do, you, do you think you could go back and do it again? Or would you just be like, F this, this is not convenient, I'm, I'm not doing this? Oh, I can't, I, I would still want to do it, but uh, my God, that would be just, you know, like going back to the caveman era and, I mean, we had not discovered fire yet at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it was still fun, but <laughs> man, with oh, all the, uh, yeah, with all the sites now, all the readily inf- available information, it would be pretty tough to go back. Okay. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I hear you tell stories like that and I'm like, God, I'm just not patient enough. And maybe that's a problem with people in my generation is that we're just not as patient uh, we want things instantly because that's how we grew up. And I can't imagine wanting to know my fantasy score, um, you know, on Monday morning and being like, well, hopefully I won, but I have no idea. But at the same time, there's like a there's like a sense of there's like something romantic about that. You know what I mean? Thinking about those days where you had no other choice and that's how you that's how you had to do it. And now you've got this evolution where you literally are seeing stat corrections happen like 
two days after and you can be within leagues with people from, you know, all over the place. So I think that's, I just think it's, I, I love hearing stories like that. I think they're, they're really cool. cool. Let, do you, just do you to think, piggyback oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say to piggyback on that, like we just didn't know any better. You know, there was there was nothing else we couldn't see into the future. So we didn't know this coming. But it's funny because right when the pandemic hit, you know, my we're home all the time and there are no live sports. All these channels are replaying classic games or whatever, classic baseball, classic football. And so I'm watching some of these old NFL games with my son and there's like no yellow line for the first down marker. Sometimes they're not even showing the score on the screen. Like all these things that, you know, modern televised games you get used to having. And my son would be like, this sucks. How did you guys watch games when they didn't show the score on the clock or anything? (laughs) He's 13. So, oh, yeah. yeah, He's like, what the F is this? Exactly, man. Totally dumbfounded that that information didn't used to be on the screen at every second of a game. I mean, I can't, honestly, I can't imagine it now. Sometimes I watch games from like 2008, right? Where I was, I mean, conscious enough to understand football. And I'm like, man, that just looks different than it looks today. Watching an NFL game today is good, different even than it is, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, at least in, in my opinion, maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, man, it's true. I was, I was trying to show someone this video highlight of there was this great, it was the Bills Giants Super Bowl where uh, Mark Ingram Sr., made this incredible like cat he makes this catch like five yards short of the first down marker and he breaks like seven tackles and then like extends himself to get this first down but in the replay there was no yellow first down line and so you can't really appreciate how this guy just you know walked a bed of hot coals to get this first down when you can't see the line like it somehow made it a little less spectacular but um yeah, man. I I wouldn't trade the technology, though, now that we've got it for anything. You know, a big reason why I like having these conversations, Pat, is because I learn something new every time that you talk about it. For example, <laughs> as you were talking, as you're speaking, I just Googled Mark Ingram Sr. because I had no idea that he was Mark Ingram Jr.'s dad. So, guys, get you a historian like Pat. That's that's who I need you like in my back pocket because I had no idea that he that Mark Ingram Senior was a wide receiver in the NFL. I had no clue. Maybe I should have known. Maybe the uh, the junior on the back of Ingram's jersey should have given it away. I know. I feel like Grandpa busting out all the stories from the rocking chair on the porch now, Doc. It's uh, (laughs) (laughs) man. No, these are good stories. Really though, this is like this is cool information. I could talk about this all day. Do you think that your fantasy strategy in those days? differs to what your general fantasy football strategy is today or do you think that you've stayed consistent what do you i mean obviously it's probably evolved um but what is your general fantasy football philosophy interesting man uh i don't know if i have a general philosophy there it always used to be like you know although i think it was pretty obvious like just attack the running backs don't get caught short at running back and you know that's evolved over time so i guess there's there's not one um I mean, one thing, and it drives me kind of crazy, is like there have always been trades in fantasy football. And like, I think people waste a lot of time by just trying to win trades. You know, people will send me Twitter questions like who wins this trade? And like, that's just not the purpose. And you're not going to be a productive trader. Um, I mean, you're trying to solve your own problems and and fill your own holes, but you're never going to get things done if you don't 
earnestly put yourself in the other owner's shoes and try to see things from their point of view. Like you got to answer the question, if you were the other guy, would you yourself make this trade? And if you cannot honestly answer yes, don't even bother taking the offer to the guy because people aren't stupid. And I mean, people are not stupid. Um, They see through BS trades and it it just kind of shakes your credibility and makes them less willing to less interested in even opening your emails. And, you know, when it gets to the point where people open your emails and, you know, only every once every, every five offers, do they say, oh, this offer doesn't completely suck. Like, that's just a bad sign. You don't want that. You don't want to be a, a bad faith trader. So, um, well, first of all, if you're getting five offers from the same guy, <laughs> that's a lot of <laughs> offers that you're trying to make stick to the wall, it seems. Oh yeah, man. There are, there are trade spammers for sure. Like I, those are not the fun guys to be in a league with, but they're definitely trade spammers. So is that what you would say is the, the advice you'd give to fantasy football players? What's a general piece of advice you'd give to them to be a better fantasy player? So, I mean, obviously like pursue that's, that's one, like the trading thing. That's just one element of it. But, um, you know, don't ever, be shortchanged in the information side of things. Like if you're serious about winning, it's hard to do it unless you're basically hiring someone to run your team for you. Like you have to pursue the information, you know, be on Twitter, be following as many people as you can and getting these different points of view. Like I feel if you just following the right 100 or 200 people on Twitter, like can make yourself a, you know, 50% better player. Um, you know, and I mean, there are specific things that kind of change year to year and evolve over time. I don't know if there are timeless bits of philosophy, but, um, you know, now, now that we're not in the pen and paper era anymore, like do not get cha- shortchanged as far as information. Make sure you're, you know, watching games, following people, keeping up on injury news. That's so critical. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that part of the, part of the, Thing, I guess one thing I've observed as I'm thankfully growing a little bit on, on social media is people do shortchange themselves and put themselves in the least in, in the less advantaged position a lot of times simply by not looking for information. I mean, not even just like, would you take this guy or that guy? Just general knowledge, right? Like the, the casual fantasy player doesn't keep up on, for example, like trades, right? So I talked to one of my buddies who's a very casual player. I mean, he likes and he enjoys it. He's active during the seasons, um, but he isn't, you know, he's just a casual and was talking to me about Todd Gurley and was like, I just don't know if Todd Gurley is going to beat out acres this year. And Todd Gurley is, you know, last year, the Rams offensive line was bad. And I'm like, dude, did you know that Todd Gurley got, you know, whatever relate release or trade or whatever it was to the Falcons. He just stared at me blankly. He's like, Oh, you know, I, I didn't know that. So I feel like that's a really, really good piece of advice because especially if you're average, if you're an average fantasy player and you want to go next level, like step one is just giving yourself the information, right? It is, man. And and this is probably not even relevant advice to the people who are listening to this podcast, because if they're listening to you, like they're looking for the the, the nuggets, like they're among the sharper. True, players. true. You know, these are the casual guys. And um you know, there are people who just kind of after the Super Bowl ends, like they just 
don't really follow NFL news. They move on to other things and they, you know, start picking up on football again in like late July, early August and kind of just check out until then and, and don't realize like there have been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of fantasy analysts like pouring over the data from the previous season and, you know, kind of processing it into uh, how things are going to shake out for 2020. Yeah, absolutely. So but for 2020 specifically, because of COVID, because of the training camp issues, because of, you know, the potential for widespread infection of the disease itself, you have a philosophy for 2020. Are you safer? Are you changing anything? Um, what are, what are your, what's your thought there? Um, for There's one thing, and I kind of believe this anyway, and I think it's true this year more than ever because of COVID and, you know, the likelihood that these COVID cases are just going to add. And, and if we count those as injuries, I mean, this is going to be the most injury riddled year ever, but um, I kind of feel like quarterback and tight end are always the most easily replaceable positions and where in conventional leagues, you can get the most replacement value on the waiver wire and where it's, uh, you know, you don't have to, to wage war either with in fab leagues where you're spending fab dollars, you know, a, a hot running back hits the market and guys are spending half of their fab budget. But quarterbacks and tight ends, you can always get a usable guy for a couple of bucks. And for that reason, um, I'm really emphasizing running back and wide receiver and, and willing to wait on quarterback and tight end this year more than ever. And I think just generally, this is good strategy. If you do sort of... Uh, jump up and get one of the elite quarterbacks. If you just can't resist a Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, or if you can't resist a Kittle or a Kelsey, say you get a Kittle or a Kelsey, don't also be one of the first guys to draft a quarterback. Like if you're going to kind of cheat on one of those two single positions, you know, and of course this strategy does not apply to two QB and super flex leagues, but if you're going to get one of the elite guys at one of those two single positions, then you better damn well wait on the other one, man, because you have got to hit those running backs and wide receivers and not, you know, fail to get your fair share of talent at those two positions because those are hard positions to find quality replacements at once the season starts. And, man, I mean, it's just going to be brutal as far as people missing games this year. So, um, yeah, I would I would say just attack running back and wide out and almost draft as if you're planning on your top guy at those positions getting hurt. Like say to yourself during the draft, when you're in round eight, you know, if I lose my first round running back, what does my depth chart look like now? I mean, so many people walk away from the draft table, like, Oh, look at my running backs. I've got these two guys starting. And then they kind of don't, you know, bother with the fact that they, have really terrible depth at running back. I mean, I think this year more than ever, your third, fourth, fifth running backs and wide receivers are going to be pretty important to your success. So loading up on those receivers and running backs, man, I'm absolutely on board with that. And if your commissioners, and I've said this over and over again, if your commissioners haven't expanded benches or created more IR spots, you know, you should, you should really have that conversation with them. 
Um, you should have the conversation about expanded benches. You should have the conversation about what's the plan, the contingency plan, if the season ends in week seven. All of those sort of issues that might arise, you should definitely have some sort of plan for. Would you Would you agree with that? Or do you have anything specific you would add to that? Yeah, totally. We talked about this on another podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm, like, especially in leagues with continuation year over year, I mean, it's not a bad idea to talk about some one-year rule changes, adding a couple extra rounds to your draft, adding IR spots, like you mentioned. Um, and, and definitely like, you know, when there's money at stake, make sure you have uh, rules in place for what happens if a season ends, what happens if they shorten the regular season uh, and get everyone on board because, you know, those are unfortunate realities we're faced with this year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Moving on to some more specifics, um, people want to pick your brain, seeing as you're the multi-year draft accuracy champion, that people really want to pick your brain. So I also want to know, who are your top players at each position? Let's start with quarterback. Maybe somebody that, not, in my opinion, there's not really such thing as a sleeper, maybe an, an underrated quarterback or, or somebody who is being overlooked or somebody whose ADP is too low. Who's a quarterback that you really love this year? Um. So this does not fit the love category at all, but it does kind of fit what I was just talking about as far as waiting on quarterback a little bit. And, um, you know, I've been winding up with Jared Goff in a lot of leagues. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are just going to hear that name and kind of recoil in horror. I'm throwing up right now. Explain yourself, please. (laughs) But as far as just a guy who is so affordable and um, really, Doc, I mean, perceptions drive the market, right? And Goff has that, you know, the stink of his bad Super Bowl performance just trailing him (laughs) now. Um, You know, but three seasons as a starter, he's finished QB 14, QB 8, QB 16. And he's kind of going closer to QB 20. You know, and he's never dipped to that level. So granted, he's more of like a, a high-end QB2 than a, a true QB1, but you can get by with a high-end QB2. And, you know, last year he was kind of so-so for the first half of the year and then just had this horrible slump where he goes up against the Steelers, the Bears, and the Ravens, three good defenses, has zero TD passes, five interceptions, but then he gets through that rough patch of scheduling and in December, five games, averages 328 passing yards and has 11 TDs. And I just kind of believe in Sean McVay's system. Uh, they've been top 10 in passing yardage in each of the last three years and top five in 2018 and 2019. The pass catchers are pretty good with Robert Woods and Cop and Higby and Gerald Everett and, you know, they added with uh, Van Jefferson and Josh Reynolds is still there. Like it's not a bad group of pass catchers. And I think part of the reason why maybe his efficiency, Goff's efficiency was down a bit last year was because Rams running backs accounted for less than 10% of team targets, which is really rare. So I think they're going to get like a dead cat bounce there with Cam Akers, who's a pretty good pass catching back. And, you know, that gives Goff some more easy completions. Um, I just think he's a buy at that sort of deep discount. And 
I mean, he's just sitting there in like the 12th or 13th round of these 12 team drafts. Ah, I hate your reasonable take. How dare you? How dare you be reasonable? You're harder <laughs> take than that. I know that's the, that's the least sexy uh, <laughs> I could ever try to sell anyone. You know, I feel like it's uh, he's a week to week guy. I feel like he's a week to week guy. I don't know. Um, he is somebody who is not like you don't want, probably don't want to watch the games. If you do watch the games, you'll never do anything that will excite you. Um, but at the same time, you you sort of know, like you said, you sort of know what you're getting into. Maybe like every week he'll finish between, you know, QB 10 and QB 15, 16, um, which is fine, especially if you're waiting until the 18th, 19th round. That's pretty good production. I feel like he's the anti Josh Allen. I feel like he, like, if you have Josh Allen on your team, you're just sort of like praying and chucking, like you're, you're setting and forgetting and you're not watching the games because it'll, it'll, you know, make you nervous. And I feel like with golf, it's, it's the opposite. It's where like, you don't want to watch the games because it won't even be entertaining. Like you'd be, I'd be more willing to watch a, a Josh Allen maniac game than I'd be willing to watch a, a Jared Goff game. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, it depends, I guess. Like I, we have to say that golf is pretty matchup sensitive, right? Cause you know, I mentioned how right, I flamed right. out against the Ravens bears and uh, who was the other team. Um, uh, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, so he has those three games last year, but then we've seen him, you know, match Mahomes throw for throw in that crazy Rams Chiefs game. Um, you know, we we saw what he did late last year, and I can't remember which teams he was facing down the stretch, but like he got, you know, a, a scheduling let up and uh, put up good numbers. So it kind of depends. I mean, it's not real pretty if he runs into an ace pass defense, but you know, if he's going against average to below average pass defenses, he's a, he's a guy, you know, okay with throwing out there and yeah, it might not be, uh, you know, he might not dazzle you like Mahomes or Lamar Jackson will, but you know, he might give you the numbers. That's fair. What about running back? Do you have another very reasonable, uh, Running back that I'm going to have to debate, or maybe maybe I won't have to throw up this time. What do you think? Who's your running back? No, oh, Doc, I'm I have been banging on pots and pans with a wooden spoon all off season <laughs> for Jonathan Taylor, and part Ooh. of it is just shameless. Man, I'm a I'm a University of Wisconsin grad, and that's right. So I've seen Badger forever. Yeah, and I've seen pretty much all of these, whatever it is, 926 career carries that Jonathan Taylor has had, and um. I mean, he is the truth, man. He is just perfect NFL size, you know, at, at, and running a sub 4-4-40 at like 226 chiseled pounds. And, um, insane. you know, yeah, it's not, not just the size and speed, too. It's like the footwork. This guy is just legitimately light on his feet and has, you know, the quick cutting, and he's just – very smart about how he runs and patient and, um, you know, just seems to have the instinct of when to like cut at the right time. And then boy, man, once he puts that foot in the ground, it goes. Uh, and plus he showed a little pass catching potential last year. Like he wasn't used that way at all in his first two years. And then went to the coaches and said, can you get me more involved in the passing game? I want to put that on film for pro teams. And they, did start throwing him more last year and he had like around 30 some catches and five TD catches and, uh, you know, showed that he can do it. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be a strength. He's not going to be a 60 catch guy, but, um, you know, he'll offer you enough where he doesn't give you a complete 
zero in that department. And I just feel like people are off him because of the so-called crowded backfield with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. Well, Naheem Hines is going to play on third downs, but I mean, that's not really a big deal, man. Like Jonathan Taylor wasn't even the third down back at Wisconsin. If it was third and eight at Wisconsin, they brought in a, a dude named Garrett Groshek. So like Taylor isn't going to play on third and eights, hasn't played on third and eight, you know, but he still is going to get plenty of touches. I think it's going to be pretty evident right away that he is light years better than Marlon Mack, who, um, I mean, talk about, it'd be one thing if Marlon Mack was a pass catcher, but Marlon Mack, despite being a thousand yard rusher last year, I think had two first downs on receptions all of last year. That's bad. Yeah, he's just, I mean, Mack's not bad, but I think he is just like a league average talent, uh, more of a backup talent than a starting guy. You know, the, the Colts traded up in the second round to get Taylor. Um, I just had Sean Siegel on one of my podcasts and Sean is like the smartest analyst I think there is. And he's a Chiefs fan. And Sean was disappointed that the Chiefs took Clyde Edwards Hilaire instead of Taylor with the last pick of the first round. And I mean, you know, that that kind of tells you, I think, how, you know, to have a, a guy that smart and who does not have the Wisconsin bias, I have show Taylor that kind of respect. <laughs> You know, and it, it it would have been fun to see that because Taylor spent his entire college career running up against eight man fronts at Wisconsin. Right, right. And you're never going to see you're never going to see an eight man front when you've got Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. And exactly. He would have just murdered those six man fronts. As it is, he's going to have a pretty fun time, I think, running behind that indie offensive line. So, like, it's not like he went to a bad landing spot but I think people perceive it that way just because of Marlon Mack. And if you're letting Marlon Mack stop you from drafting Jonathan Taylor, I just beg you to rethink that he's typically going before like this crazy risky running back two tier of guys like Todd Gurley and Leonard Fournette, James Connor, David Johnson, like the, the falling knife tier of running backs. And man, like those guys are all going, ahead of Taylor. Like I'd take Taylor ahead of any of those guys. I mean, throw in Le'Veon Bell, throw in um, Melvin Gordon, another Wisconsin guy. Like I'd, I'd much rather have Taylor than any of those guys. He's like my running back 14 or 15, 15, I think. And uh, yeah, man, like his, his ADP is like RB 22 or something like that. So, so can we do Taylor. Can we do a little impromptu game? Would you be willing to? Uh, would you be willing to tell me whether you take Jonathan Taylor or another random guy? I'll throw you another running back. Sure, man. Sure. All right. So half PPR. Okay. And we are doing a regular twelve team non super flex. So I'm going to give you. I'm going to throw out random names, and I want you to tell me if you take Jonathan Taylor or X player. So first guy, Jonathan Taylor or Chris Carson. I've got Taylor one spot ahead. Okay. Jonathan Taylor or, Ooh, here's an interesting one. Jonathan Taylor or James Conner. Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, Connor's like, I think Connor is a good 
talent. Like I'm, I'm not entirely sold on that, but like, I, I believe that Tomlin wants to use him as a running back one. And, you know, I do think Connor's a, a fairly talented dude. The durability we know is that issue, but like, he's, he's not on the same level of, as Taylor, as far as talent, like not, not close. I agree. What about Jonathan Taylor and Leonard Fournette? Who's been a, 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 an interesting in the interestingly in the spotlight lately? Snap call, Taylor. <sighs> okay, how about a player who has been also a little polarizing in the offseason, Jonathan Taylor or David Johnson? Taylor. Man, we gotta find a guy you'll take, man. Okay, okay, here we go, here we go. Jonathan Taylor or Melvin Gordon. Taylor. And, uh, you know, I, I, as a Wisconsin guy, man, I love Melvin Gordon too. No, no, no. It's, I like it. I'm going to keep going until we find a guy. I want to find the line for you, Pat. All right. All right. Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb. Oh, there you found it. It's Chubb. And, uh, and Chubb is actually a pretty good comp for Taylor. You know, I think Chubb is probably one of the three or four best pure runners in the league. And I think Taylor is going to be in that class too, but you know, Chubb is the established guy. Um, Yeah, man, I, I similar talents, similar situations where they've got, you know, other guys in the backfield. Um, But yeah, I I have to go with Chubb there. Well, in your defense, the fantasypoints.com guys, just in raw project, in terms of raw projections, they have Jonathan Taylor ahead of all the guys he said no to, um, except so he's basically RB eighteen consensus, just raw projections. So they have him pretty high too, um, and I'm a fan, so I don't, I'm, I don't, I don't mind that take at all. What about a wide receiver? Maybe we can play that game again. We'll see how. We'll see if it's a spicy take like your Jonathan Taylor take was. Sure. Um... So here's one for me. I mean, I, I don't think I'm like a huge outlier on him um, and maybe not beating the drum quite as loudly, but a guy I've been really actively investing in all off season is DK Metcalf. And it's funny because a year ago at this time, I was uh, like looking at his like physique and just wondering if that's what a wide receiver was supposed to look like the, the David Boston type. And that's, you know, going kind of old school there, this like overly muscled up bigger receiver who, you know, Boston was promising early in his career. And then he like, just, I don't know if he was hitting the juice or whatever, but just got way too big. And it seemed to like, you know, it just seemed to make him a less fluid, less effective receiver. And generally, you know, you almost want to see like that AJ green body type, the sort of uh, long and live, like those, I always thought that's what a wide receiver one was supposed to look like. And then Metcalf comes along and he's just this monster. An absolute beast. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we just saw him towards the end of the season start to um, assert himself a little more, even though, God, he was basically running, you know, a couple of routes, the fly, the out. Um, and, I mean, a guy who can just, who can run past people, who is so big and strong that he can just dominate people at the catch point, who, I mean, he just lit the Eagles on fire in the playoffs. And, and he's working with 
one of the very best quarterbacks in the NFL. And even though they're the Seahawks are going to be run heavy. Yeah, we know that. Um, and even though they have Tyler Lockett there, who's a very good receiver in his own right, like they're going to throw to Metcalf. They're going to throw to him in the end zone downfield. Like those, those are going to be high value targets. Um, think they're going to let Russ cook? Hashtag let Russ cook? Yeah. They're going to let Russ cook? Hashtag let Russ cook? Yeah. I mean, like what if the, the Seattle defense turned out like a lot worse than we were hoping and they actually had to start opening up the offense to stay in game? Oh my God. <laughs> that, that would be just so amazing to see. And, uh, Doc, the other thing about this, man, I, so I'm willing to draft him a little ahead. Like he's typically going around wide receiver, I don't know, 26, 25, 27, somewhere in that range. And like, he's just inside my top 20, like wide receiver 19. And if I draft him at wide receiver 19 and he turns in a wide receiver 27, 28 season, I'm fine with that. I mean, like, it's not like I'm taking a big loss on the investment there. But I do feel like this guy has some real freaky shit in the top end of his range of outcomes, like Randy Moss type stuff. So I'm willing to like, you know, put the chips on the roulette over there just in case that comes up, man. All right. DK Metcalf or T.Y. Hilton? DK. DK Metcalf or Keenan Allen? DK. I'm uh, just a little worried about the QB situation with the Chargers, so DK for me. DK Metcalf or Devontae Parker? DK. It's close. Oh, you paused. I like the pause. Oh, you paused. <laughs> I, like, I like Parker too, man. I think he's like wide receiver 23 for me. Okay. And so maybe we already answered this question, though. Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf? Yeah, Metcalf. I mean, yeah, there's okay. probably a, a 60, 65% chance Lockett outscores him this year, but Lockett does not have the, the top end of the range of outcomes that Metcalf has. How dare you speak negatively about my fellow Kansas State grad? grad. I'm offended. Oh, I'm I know, offended man. by that. I know. That has to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about, okay, DK Metcalf or somebody in his class, Terry McLaurin? Oh man, that, that was one of my biggest Scott fishbowl dilemmas having to choose between those two. And I took Metcalf, especially in the, the big tournament, like the Scott fishbowl is. And um, I think DK was falling further. Wasn't he than, than McLaurin? McLaurin was going a little earlier, I think. in Scott fishbowl. He was, and uh, that was a really tough call. And, and this was like, I think late in the seventh round or whatever. And then I coming back in the eighth round, McLaurin was actually still there for me, like four picks or five picks later. And I had to pass just because I hadn't taken a quarterback at that point. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. boy, that was really hard. But yeah, I've got Metcalf one spot higher in the rankings, I think. <laughs> still haven't found it. All right. Okay. DK Metcalf or Amari Cooper. I've got Cooper there. All right, we found the line. I like it, though. I like it, though. Fantasy points, the raw projection at fantasypoints.com. They have DK Metcalf at uh, wide receiver 21. So that's – they're high Oh, wow, two. okay. So they're they're in line with me on that. That's good to know. They are. They are. They are. <laughs> yeah, isn't it nice when you're when somebody else, like, confirms your priors? It's nice. 
How about oh, your least, especially when it's Scott Barrett and Graham Barfield and Joe Dolan? I mean, like that's definitely and Tom Brawley, guys like that. Like that's reassuring for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. How about your least um, favorite position? Maybe it's not your least favorite. Maybe it's your most favorite position because it's the most challenging for you. But tight ends, somebody at tight end that you really, really like maybe more than than most people do, or somebody you're banging the table for. So. I don't know that I feel passionate about any single tight end this year. Um, and I, I think, you know, my rankings are almost pretty in line with a lot of other people's. I guess I'm higher on TJ Hawkinson than a lot of people. Um, I just thought he was such an exceptional prospect at Iowa. Um, watching a lot of his games there. I have a lot of friends from Iowa and wind up watching a lot of Hawkeyes football and thought he was, you know, a truly special tight end prospect. Then last year he has the, you know, great first game against the Cardinals and it looks like he's going to be a monster while we, you know, know the Cardinals tight end defense was like the worst in the league. And, you know, Hawkinson runs into a little injury problem. Um, just seems like in a couple of games where, you know, he would get a red zone target and the, the timing was just off or he'd get a hand on a ball and just couldn't quite squeeze it. And then Stafford goes down and they bring in, you know, like, uh, God, I can't even remember who the initial backup was before they had to go to David Blah. And, you know, it was just quarterback <laughs> was a disaster at that, at that point, no one other than Kenny Holiday is going to be able to pop. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a, a star-crossed rookie year for him. But, like, we know that many there aren't many rookie tight ends who pop anyway. And, um, you know, it's I'm still willing to bet on that talent. Um, you know, like, you can get him at tight end 12, 13, 14 in a lot of drafts. I've got him tight end 8. Like, I'm not going crazy and reaching for him, but um, – you know, it's usually pretty easy to roster him at an affordable price. And, you know, I, I still believe in the talent. I do. And I think his uh, ADP is going to fall a little because um, of the injury that day that you just talked about. Today it came out that he's still struggling with it. And he said he's still not 100%, which is, depending on what the procedure was, still makes sense. He's out of the, phase, the rehab phase. Um, but he still is probably trying to, you know, regain some some functional control of the ankle and wonder if he's still got a little bit of pain going on. But um, I don't mind that. I don't mind TJ Hawkinson. So let's see, TJ Hawkinson or oh, we'll start with a contentious name, Rob Gronkowski. Oh, man, uh, I think I've got Hawkinson like one spot ahead of Gronk. But I, I swear, like it, I had not seen the news that he's like still not feeling quite 100% yet. Like that's close enough where that might almost get me to change my rankings tonight where I swing. Oh, back oh really that, didn't, that, that didn't last long. Let's, let's do a few more though. Um, <laughs> okay. Hawkinson or Hunter Henry. Hawkinson. Close. Really? I, I like Henry. I mean, Henry is. Yeah. In the quarterback situation, right? Yeah, I dig the talent, but I think, you know, like a lot of people think, you know, Tyrod is a legit NFL quarterback. I kind of don't. And, um, you know, we know it's going to be rough when they eventually make the move to 
Justin Herbert, which I think will probably come sooner rather than later, you know, and a, a rookie quarterback is the uh, low tide that sinks all boats, I think. <laughs> I like that saying. I've never heard that before. It's funny. Okay. Um, TJ Hawkinson or Mike Gusecki? Hawkinson. Hawkinson. Yeah, man. I just don't know about Gusecki's interesting. I like this great athletic profile. And if they use him in the slot, uh, more that's going to be nice. But I, I just don't know with the quarterback situation although i suppose fitz is kind of a yolo quarterback who can help guys but i i don't think uh chan gailey's tight ends has all been that productive overall we'll see about that but yeah i've got hawkinson ranked higher tj hawkinson or and this will be the last one Ooh, tj hawkinson or evan ingram i've got ingram there uh just the pure athleticism man i mean if we could get 16 healthy games from Ingram. And I guess you're the, uh, you're the one to throw cold water on that pipe dream. But um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like 16 games out of Ingram and we're definitely getting like a top three tight end, but. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll I agree. That. It's not looking promising in 2020, Pat, but I think just based off of principle and based off of, um, upside, you, you mean you? In my opinion, I don't rank, but I feel like you have to put Ingram in front of him, in front of somebody like T.J. Hawkinson because of that upside that you mentioned. Yeah, I think so, man. Uh, like, obviously, you're not getting out over your skis to draft him like you might have before the injury started to mount. But um, yeah, man, the, the pure potential is so attractive with Ingram. All right, well, kickers matter, so we're going to go on to kickers now. Who's one kicker that you're looking at and you're going to, you're targeting for week one. God, please tell me you have one. one. Please tell me. You have one. Man. Uh, oh God. What was the, I have not, I have to admit doc, I've not even thought about kickers yet. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's so disappointing. A, I know. And I'm such a, yeah. Oh God. I do not no have already made answer for you. I'm sorry, dude. Well, at fantasypoints.com, the Justin Tucker's number one. Harrison Bucker is number two. Matt Gay is number three. Matt Gay was a little surprising to me. I talked to Denny Carter, right, who's a really good follow in his own right, at CD Carter 13. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> when I had him on, he did, uh, he talked about his regression analysis that he did on kickers in 2020. And um, I don't remember, I, I think that he said, uh, Zane Gonzalez is, is not a good option, but I, and because of the, or maybe he was a good option in Arizona uh, because of all the times that they, Arizona would stall out in between the twenties. And so Zane Gonzalez is an Arizona kicker, number five in the, at fantasypoints.com site. If you wanted to go check out the kicker rankings, I, it's almost like a, I just did it, honestly to just mess with you. Pat. Don't feel too bad about not having the kicker. <laughs> no, I mean, like when I do those week one rankings, I'm definitely going to be looking match up. And uh, I imagine like Jake Elliott, I'm sure will probably be one. I think that the Eagles play the Washington football team. So, I mean, they should be fairly heavy favorites in that one, I would expect. And I like the Eagles offense. So, I mean, Elliott's a upper half kicker, I would think on, on pure talent. So, um if you're forcing me to pull one out, I might go with Jake. <laughs> That's not a bad one. I like that. 
Man, this has been fun. I like I like trying to get you riled up, and it just didn't happen. I couldn't get you riled up or mad or passionate. You're very reasonable, calm, <laughs> cool, and collected. Um, God, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what what gets Pat really rolling. What's one pet peeve you have that just that just really will get you going on and get on soapbox? Oh, dude, and it, it's a daily occurrence now. Is my son refusing to get off his PlayStation? Like when we, you know, tell him, like, come down for dinner, do your homework, uh, whatever. It's you know never at the appointed time. So, yeah, that's a source of aggravation on a daily basis. And uh, you know, you would watch me trying to pull him away from that, and you would know that I definitely can get my blood pressure up at. <laughs> i love that so didn't prep you for this one either but on the injury prone fantasy football podcast we do band-aids of advice just a little snippet of advice can be fantasy football related life related anything related what's what's one band-aid or piece of advice that pat has for the world out there for the for my th- for the three listeners and my, my mom so my four listeners no oh, uh <laughs> avoid the falling knife running back to tier in fantasy football this year. I'll, we'll keep it to fantasy. Avoid that. Todd Gurley, David Johnson, James Connor, Leonard Fournette, uh, all those guys in like the running back 15 to running back 22, 23 range. Draft a wide receiver instead because you can get guys like, oh my God, please do not draft Leonard Fournette over Juju Smith Schuster or Odell Beckham <laughs> or. Uh, I mean, take what the board gives you and the board is still giving you like low end wide receiver ones, high end wide receiver twos at that point. Take it instead of those. Just quicksand you had fun i was trying to get you riled up trying to make you give a hot take you didn't give any hot takes you all very reasonable and down to earth i appreciate your time again i really do um everybody make sure you go follow at fitz underscore ff that's f-i-t-z underscore ff follow pat on twitter he's fantastic um got anything else before we get out of here I don't think so, man. This has been a lot of fun, Doc, and I really appreciate you having me on, man. It's uh, It's been great to meet you over the last year and interact with you on Twitter. And um, yeah, man, I, I look forward to more of it. And uh, it was just great talking to you, man. Appreciate it. I do have one thing left for you, though. Sure. Just call me Edwin, man. Just call me Edwin. <laughs> I appreciate it. You can yeah. call me Edwin. If you want to call some people insist on calling me, Doc, but I mean, you can call me Edwin. I don't want I don't want you to think that you have to call me Doc as, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I tell the, people the, that. Uh, prof- the professional respect, my friend. It is. And that's the thing is like, I got to get, I got to catch you slipping somewhere, but you're not. You're just like <laughs> so nice, humble, down to earth. Like, I don't know, man. You're, uh, I think that uh, you're one of the nicest guys out there. So I, I appreciate the respect, but really, please call me out. Okay. No. You got it, Edwin. And uh, thanks. Right, I appreciate that. And uh, you're a pretty damn nice guy yourself. So great talking to you, buddy. You too, bud. All right, listeners, that's it for today. Make sure you follow Pat on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Follow me at FB Injury Doc if you haven't already. And that's it. We will catch you next time.